chapter 3 is where we're going to be and we'll start reading in verse number 15 if you don't have a bible there should be a bible in the seat back in front of you and uh, if not you can use your phone or have something to follow along with we are going to refer back to these verses often today galatians chapter 3 verse 15 the bible says this brethren i speak after the manner of men though it be but a man's covenant Yet, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed, where the promise is made, he saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Everybody say, by promise. Wherefore, then serveth the law. What was the purpose of the law then? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Verily, righteousness should have been added by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. The, the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Today I want to speak for a few minutes to this subject. The weight has been lifted. The weight has been lifted. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, the weight has been lifted. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for uh, the great day in church that we've already had. Lord, thank you for uh, the seven children who prayed to accept Christ this week. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing uh, in our children's ministries and our youth ministries. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to uh, put your hand of blessing upon this place. God, I pray that it would not be about us, but that it would all be about you and your glory and your will. And Lord, for a few minutes today, we're praying that you would speak to us through your word in a powerful way. God, I pray that we can understand that uh, the weight has been lifted in life and that we can experience freedom in you. And God, I pray that if there's anyone that's in the room today that is hurting, anyone that is heavy, anyone that is broken, I pray that they can find a spiritual relief today and a breath of fresh air. And God, I pray that you would speak to us greatly through your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... When I was in high school, I had a goal to dunk a basketball. I really wanted to be able to leap and jump and be able to dunk a basketball. And so I started to do all kinds of things to work towards that goal. And uh, one of the things I did was one of my friends had these special pair of shoes. I think we have a picture of them this morning. They were like calf uh, shoes that you would work out in. How many of you have ever seen shoes like this before, right? And so you walk around with them, and they're supposed to strengthen uh, your muscles. And so uh, I might have looked like a crazy person, but I was running around wearing these shoes trying to uh, build up uh, my muscles. Another thing that I did was 
uh, I grabbed some ankle weights. How many of you have ever had any ankle weights before? And he put those ankle weights on your, on your legs, and I would just put those ankle weights on, and I would jump around in my house, driving everyone crazy, trying to touch the ceiling, trying to improve my vertical because I wanted to uh, be able to reach that goal of dunking a basketball. And uh, having those weights on me was uh, important to do that. And that's you know, uh, common for training, and it makes sense to add weights if you're trying to improve your strength. But how silly would it be and how foolish would it be if I were to wake up on a daily basis and say, you know, it's a brand new day. It's time for me to put my ankle weights on and just go throughout on a daily basis wearing ankle weights. How many of you would say that would probably be pretty foolish, right? And or if you're going to go run a marathon, I'm getting ready to go run a marathon, but I need to put my my ankle weights on. And uh, that would be what we would call unnecessary weight. And the truth is this morning, tragically, amongst followers of Jesus, so often as we journey throughout life, we are weighed down spiritually and physically by unnecessary weight, by unnecessary things that, that weigh us down and that, uh, that make life so heavy. And it seems like every step that we take is just heavy and we can just be discouraged and depressed and life just feels often so heavy. And the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12 verse number one, wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Everybody say every weight. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now, it's important that we recognize the differentiation that the author makes between weight and sin. Uh, Not every weight is a sin. Sometimes it's sin that holds us back. Sometimes it's just a weight that holds us back that could even be a good thing out of place, uh, but it's holding us down. Sometimes the weight that holds us down is a broken relationship. Sometimes the weight that holds us down is a stressful season. Sometimes the weight that holds us down is a trial or difficulty that we might be enduring in life, and it just makes life feel heavy. How many of you have ever been in a season in life where everything just felt heavy? Anybody like that today? So often in life, we can feel heavy. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction... Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Uh, Aren't you thankful for that today? Our light affliction is but for a moment. It's just for a temporary time. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so I love what he's saying here. The weight of your suffering is nothing in comparison to the weight of your salvation. And I'm thankful today that no matter what kind of pain I might be carrying in this life, no matter what kind of burden I might be enduring in this life, no matter what kind of struggle I might be enduring, enduring in this life, no matter how heavy this life might be, can I encourage you today that there is another life to come, that there is a hope beyond the grave, that there is the reality of heaven today. That is the eternal weight of glory. And so often life can feel heavy, but we need to remember that there is an eternal weight of glory. And uh, so we can feel burdened down in life. We can be carrying uh, different weights. And I believe one of the greatest struggles amongst Uh, Christianity and really religious circles is when we are burdened down by the weight of barren religion and barren rules and regulations and legalism where uh, we are just bogged down by everything that we have to do and everything uh, that we have to say and get right. And we are so often uh, weighed down by this weight of uh, legalism. And uh, this is the message of Galatians that Paul is confronting. And Jesus also confronted this. And I, I think that this verse is so a foundational for this topic this morning in Luke chapter 11, verse number 46, Jesus said this, and he said, woe unto you also, ye lawyers. Now, when Jesus says lawyers, 
He's not simply talking about uh, an attorney. He's talking about someone that is an expert in the law, someone that was an expert in the Old Testament ceremonial, civil, moral law, someone that knew all the rules and regulations, everything that the Old Testament outlined for you to do. And so he was saying, woe unto ye lawyers, for ye laid men. Uh, You made uh, all of these rules and regulations heavy uh, on the backs of men. You, You put this on them, the burdens that are grievous, to be born. So all of these rules and regulations that are just too heavy to, to bear and too heavy to carry, you're, you're constantly adding these two people, Jesus said. And then he said this, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. And he says, and then you don't even lift a finger to help anyone that's struggling, that's trying to navigate through life, trying to be a good person, trying to do all the right things, trying to say all the right things, but they just can't keep up. And all of these religious experts, they weren't even lifting a finger to help them. Now, We know in the Old Testament there was a lot of laws. Uh, Some of those laws were the Ten Commandments. We might be very familiar with the Ten Commandments. But it didn't stop there. It continued on. And there were some 613 laws in the Old Testament uh, that the Jewish people were supposed to adhere to and they were supposed to uh, abide by. And so then when Jesus came in the New Testament, all of these uh, scribes and Pharisees and religious experts, they were watching people like a hawk, making sure that they followed all of these rules and regulations. Daniel? I'm going to ask you to help me for a second today. And what they would say uh, in all of these rules and regulations is they would watch people and they would say, okay, uh, remember that the law says that you are to uh, tithe and you need to make sure that you're doing that. Remember that the law says you are to, you know, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember, uh, the law says that you are not to eat certain foods. Remember uh, to make sure to pay attention to all those dietary laws and rem- uh, make sure that your diet is according to the law. Make sure you do that. And if you don't do that, you're going to uh, get in trouble. And, and uh, make sure that you don't go to uh, these certain uh, places. And uh, make sure that you are uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and make sure that you are... There's 613 of them, so we could go on. Uh, Make sure that you're doing this and doing that, and you go here, and you don't go there. How many of you know that's a heavy way to live? And I think we ought to just sit here for a second and see how long uh, Daniel can carry this. No, I I won't do that to Daniel, but that's a heavy way to live, carrying all the weight of the law and just going through life. That's a heavy uh, burden to bear, and Jesus said they never would come over and help. Not even lift a finger to take one of those weights off, right? But I'm thankful that when Jesus Christ came, that Jesus came and he lived a perfectly sinless life. And Jesus said, hey, I came not to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law. Can I tell you today, the weight has been lifted because Jesus came and he made a way when there was no way. I'm thankful the weight has been lifted. Let's give it up for Daniel today. Got to work out in, in this morning's service. Now, Sadly, often this kind of legalistic thinking infiltrates the church where I'm saved by grace. I'm thankful for that. But somehow we kind of trick our minds to think that there is this gold standard of Christianity that if I dress a certain way and I say some certain things that I'm going to earn more favor and more love with God. And we might not say it out loud, but sometimes we think, you know what, I might even be more valuable than that person over there. Because after all, look at how much weight I can carry. And look at how many rules I can follow. And look at what all the things that I've memorized and the things that I can do. And it becomes all about us and what we can do and not about what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so this is the battle that Paul is fighting in Galatians chapter 3. Now, I'm thankful the Bible says this in 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse number 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. 
And so I'm not saying today that we don't need to listen to the instructions and the commandments of God. God has given us uh, his word to help us, to guide us, and uh, to lead us into righteousness. But it says this, and his commandments are not grievous. I'm thankful for that because sometimes our thinking is the opposite. We think the commandments of God are so heavy and we can't do them. But if you have the right perspective and you are uh, wanting to do the right things, not to earn more favor with God, but because you love him so much, all of a sudden you recognize the weight has been lifted. All of a sudden you recognize his commandments are not grievous. Uh, all of a sudden it's a, it's a get to, not a have to. I, I want to serve Jesus. I want to love Jesus from a place of uh, a pure motivation for the sake of the gospel. And so uh, Paul is going to unpack this truth. For us today, that the weight has been lifted. And Paul is going to defend his case. Now, uh, if you've been with us the last several weeks as we've studied the book of Galatians, Paul has been um, making one major point that we are saved, we are justified or declared righteous by faith. He's been hammering that home. Now he wants to prove that point uh, by uh, talking about two different covenants in Scripture. And we'll unpack these, but I just kind of want to let you know where we're going. Uh, He's going to talk about the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. And he's going to use these covenants to prove that we are saved by faith. And once we recognize and realize these truths, we will understand the weight has been lifted. And so today, if you're taking notes, I want to give us three reasons the weight has been lifted. Are you ready today? Three reasons the weight has been lifted. Number one, God never breaks a promise. The weight has been lifted because our God never breaks a promise. Now, let's jump into the text. Let's start in verse number 15. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible ready today. Verse 15. Brethren, brethren. Now, that's a, that's a term of endearment. That's a loving term. And I think it's important to point that out because if you were here last week, uh, we noticed that chapter 3 started with Paul saying, oh, dear idiots of Galatia, right? Oh, foolish Galatians. And uh, uh, now he's saying, Brethren, that was a term of endearment. He was saying, hey, even though you're on the wrong track, I still love you and care about you. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. And so what he's saying there is, I want to give you a common human illustration. I want to give you an everyday example of what I'm talking about. I speak after the manner of men. So he says this, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. He says, when you make a contract with someone, when you make a deal with someone, you are uh, bound to that contract. You can't change the terms and conditions, right? If you sign a contract, you are uh, uh, going to uphold that end uh, of your agreement. Uh, we know this to be true. If you purchase a house, if you purchase a car, you sign uh, the dotted line, right? You sign that contract, and you've got to uh, uphold your end by making those payments. And if you don't make those payments, uh, the mortgage company is not just going to say, oh, don't worry about it. You can just live there for free. No, uh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, but they say, no, you got to uphold your end of the contract, this is what Paul is saying. When a humans make an agreement, uh, you can't change uh, that and change your mind about that. I'll give you an example. A couple of months ago, Kate and I were making some plans, and we wanted to make some summer plans, and uh, we were looking at some flights online. And so uh, we decided to book a trip this summer for this month, actually. And so we booked some flights, and uh, we were getting ready for that trip. But I told Katie uh, several months ago, I don't know what COVID is going to look like. I don't know what traveling is going to look like. So let's go ahead and uh, buy the travel insurance just in case. You know, if they say, uh, you know, we're going to close down and, you know, no more traveling or whatever the case might be. So I said, let's buy the insurance, and uh, we'll be safe. 
sure enough, we were getting ready to uh, look forward to this trip, and, and uh, sure enough, we saw that the flights got canceled. And so I told Katie, don't worry, because we have insurance, right? Everything's going to be A-OK. And so I filed the claim for the insurance. I sent it in. I got an email back that said, your claim is denied. And uh, I was pretty bummed out about that, and I said, you know, something must be wrong, because I paid for that insurance, and so we're going to get a refund, right? And so I called the place, and I said, I think there was a mistake. Uh, we purchased the insurance, and uh, our flights got canceled, and so I filed the claim, and, and uh, you said that it was denied. And the man on the other line said, uh, sir, do you have a copy of the contract with you? And I said, yes, I do. I had it on my phone. I said, I'm looking at it right now. And he said, well, you'll notice at the bottom of that contract, it said that we will only give a refund if the flight was canceled for mechanical purposes or for mecha- mechanical failure. And he said, uh, was your flight canceled because of mechanical failure? And I thought, probably, I don't know, like, how do we, how do we know? Maybe it was, you know, and, uh, and, and so he said, I'm sorry, it was not, and so they said, you are not going to get a refund, you're not going to get your money back, even though I had the insurance, but here's the truth, I signed the contract, and so there was nothing that I could do, nothing was going to change that, they said, you are not getting uh, this uh, money back, so Paul was saying, hey, when, when humans make an agreement and sign a contract, nothing is going to change that, is everybody tracking with me so far this morning? Now he's going to use that to transition and now talk about uh, the, the covenant and the promise that God made with Abraham. Okay, are you ready? Let's look at it. Uh, verse number 16. It says this, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, into thy seed, which is Christ. And so I love the point that Paul is making. He said, it didn't say seeds, plural. It says one seed. Who is that referring to? Jesus Christ. So who is the true recipient of the promise that God made to Abraham? It was Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true beneficiary of the promise that God made to Abraham. Now you might say, well, what's the big deal? I don't understand why that's significant for my life. And I would say it's very significant. Because the Jewish people say that that promise that God made to Abraham, they are the recipients of that promise. And then you have the descendants of Hagar and the Arab nations that say, no, we are the descendants of that promise. We are the recipients of that promise. And what Paul says is, no, the recipient of that promise is Jesus Christ. And therefore, if you are in Christ, you are the recipient of that promise. Because all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. Verse number one, verse number 20. For all the promises of God in him, in Jesus, are yea, are yes, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. And so what this means is if you are looking for God's blessing, look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. If you are looking to be blessed by God, look no further than the person of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, and it always will be about Jesus. He is the seed that Paul was talking about. He is the seed from Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15. He is the promised seed. He is the true Passover lamb from the book of Exodus. He is the suffering servant from Isaiah chapter 53. See, all of the Old Testament points ahead to Jesus, and all the New Testament is revealing Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's communicating. He's the recipient of the promise. Now, notice verse number 17, not only the recipient of this promise that God made, but also the permanence of the promise. Everybody tracking with me? He said, and this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law 
Now he's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, so we're going to have to dive deep for a second and kind of uh, really unpack what Paul is saying here so that we can get an understanding of what he's saying. But now he's going to talk about the law. That was when God met with Moses on Mount Sinai and delivered the Ten Commandments. Okay, and so that's the law, the Mosaic Law, which was 400, verse 17, 430 years after uh, cannot disannul that it should make the promise uh, of none effect. And so he said the law came uh, later, and it cannot change the promise that God made to Abraham. See, the Jewish people, they respected the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, uh, they admired and revered the Abrahamic covenant. But there was also the Mosaic covenant. I want to see uh, this uh, chart on the screen. There was two different covenants here. And the Jewish people would look at the Abrahamic covenant through the lens of the Mosaic covenant. And the Mosaic covenant was all about the law. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. Rather than looking at the Mosaic covenant through the lens of the Abrahamic covenant, because it was the Abrahamic covenant that God made to Abraham, and Abraham believed faith, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so we have one that's about faith and grace, and another that's about uh, what we do and works. And so this is the differentiation that Paul is making. And he's saying, hey, in no way, when God gave the law to Moses, did it void the original promise that he made to Abraham. Everybody tracking so far? For example, uh, the other day we had my son's birthday, and we made him a promise on his birthday. He wanted to go to Sky Zone, the trampoline park, and jump around. And so uh, we said, Luke, we bought you tickets. And we purchased a pack of tickets to Sky Zone. And we said, uh, we're going to go in a couple of weeks. We couldn't do it on his birthday. There was a schedule conflict. And so he said, in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to Sky Zone, and we're going to jump around. That was a promise that we made to him. That was a gift that we were giving to him. Now, if a week in, I said, Luke, we're still going to go to Sky Zone, but you've got to mow the lawn empty all the trashes, clean your room. You have to do all of these things uh, in order to go to Sky Zone. It would no longer become a gift, and I would be breaking that promise, right? I'd be, I'd be changing the terms and conditions. Can I tell you today that our God does not change the terms and conditions, and our God never breaks a promise, and the promise that he made to Abraham is still uh, fulfilled today, and it's still uh, to us today. Jesus is the recipient of that promise, and so this is the truth that Paul is communicating. I love 2 Peter 1, 4. It says this, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Everybody say promises. Uh, God has given us exceeding and great and precious, a lot of adjectives, promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Hey, uh, God has given us everything that we need to live a life of godliness. He's given us every promise that we need to escape the temptation and to escape uh, the lust that we so often battle. He's given us exceeding and great uh, promises, and God never breaks a promise. And so when you hear a promise from God, you can take it to the bank. If God promises you peace, you can experience peace. If God promises that he will fight for you, then he will fight for you. If God promises that he loves you, then he is going to love you and nothing will ever change that because God never breaks a promise. This is the wonderful reality that Paul is saying in verse 18, that God will not break a promise. And so this tells us then that the Christian life, and this is so important for us to, to hear and see today, this tells us then that the Christian life is not about our performance. It's all about his promise. And so often we can get that confused and it becomes what I can do and about my performance and about how many things I know and what I bring to the table rather than trusting in the promise that God made. And so number one, God never breaks a promise. Number two is this, God always has a purpose. 
I'm thankful that God always has a purpose. Now, we might not always be able to see it. It might not always make sense to us, but God always has a purpose. Now, Paul knew what the next question might be to the original audience there in Galatia. They would say, well, then why did God give the law? Right? Good question, right? If the Abrahamic covenant and the promise that God made to Abraham is binding and nothing can change it, then what are we supposed to do with the law? Why did he give the Ten Commandments if it was all about uh, grace? Notice verse 19. Everybody with me? Verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? You see how he asked the question? Why serve the law then? What's the law uh, really all about? And so we're going to see the purpose uh, that God had for establishing the law. And I want you to see two reasons God established the law today. Uh, Number one, to expose our sin. God established the law to expose and to reveal our sinful condition and the depravity of man. In verse 19, it says this, wherefore then serve it the law. So why the law? Verse 19, it was added because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions. In other words, it was added because of sin. Now, this makes sense to us, right? How many high school handbooks and rule books are there and college rule books that you know they just added some of those rules because someone did something dumb. They said, okay, now we need to add that uh, to the rule book. Don't put soap in the fountain uh, on campus, right? And uh, don't, don't do some of those things. They would add a law. Well, Paul says, why the law? It was added because of transgressions, because of sin, to expose and to show that we could never faithfully adhere to the law in our own strength. And so the law is kind of like a mirror. I have a mirror with me today. And uh, uh, how many of you this morning when you woke up, you looked into a mirror? Anybody? Okay, right? And uh, we look inside a mirror, and uh, the mirror can expose and reveal our condition, right? How many of you have ever been to a hotel and they had one of those magnifying mirrors that blows everything up and you looked in one of those and it just ruined your whole day? You're like, that's what I look like? Wow, okay. And uh, you know one of those intense mirrors? Well, a mirror can expose and a mirror can reveal uh, your condition, right? But if you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you might be able to see some things that you want to fix, but just looking in the mirror is not going to fix them, right? It's not going to help you just simply, the mirror in and of itself cannot do anything. And what Paul is saying is that the law was added for our transgressions to expose our sin, and the law is like a mirror. It shows us our sinful condition and reveals our sinful condition so that we can see no matter how hard we try to keep all the commandments, and no matter how hard we try to be a good person and and to do all of these wonderful things, we will never be able to reach that perfect standard of perfection. And that is why we are in desperate need of a savior. It's not about how good we can be. It's about how great God is and trusting in what he has done for us. He is our savior. He is our deliverer. And so the law exposes, uh, the law reveals our uh, sinful condition. This is what Paul was saying. Uh, why, why add the law? The law uh, pointed out what was wrong uh, with us. Martin Luther said this, the principal point of the law is to make men not better, but worse. That is to say, it showeth unto them their sin, that by the knowledge thereof, they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken, and by this means may be driven to seek grace. And so the law is not, okay, here's all of these things that I have to do, and here's all these things I have to obey, and I'm going to really make this into a big checklist, and and, and I've got to do all these things to earn favor with God. No, the law was saying, hey, you will never be able to do all of those things. You need a Savior. You need a Deliverer. Now, Jesus illustrated it uh, this way in Luke chapter 18. Everybody with me? 
Luke 18, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee, the one that was a religious expert, uh, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican right here. And so this Pharisee uh, was saying, God, I'm so thankful that I'm not a really bad person, kind of like this guy right here, the publican uh, next to me, kind of praying out loud, literally what he said. And he said this, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I do all these wonderful things. And then it says this, and the publican, the sinner, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, that's my heart. I recognize my condition. And so often we live in a culture where we think, I've got this handled. I've got this under control. I've read some verses before. I can be a good person. I'm pretty nice compared to that person. I'm really not that bad. Can I tell you that the Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And this man recognized his condition. God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I need mercy. I need help. I need grace. And Jesus says this, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And so the purpose of the law, why then the law? Uh, Why do you serve the law, Paul says? It was added because of transgressions to expose and to reveal that we need a Savior and that we are sinners. All right, now notice verse number 19. Let's look at what it says. It says this. Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Who's that? Jesus, until the seed would come, that's Jesus, the promised one, until uh, the seed was come, and it was ordained, verse 19, by the angels in the hand of a mediator. And so he's talking there about the law. Uh, When God delivered the law, the Mosaic law, to Moses on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, uh, that there were angels present there that helped uh, the mediation work that was taking place there. Now, we don't know what capacity uh, and what the angels were doing, but angels were present. And then it says in verse 20, Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Now, what does that mean? Uh, A mediator uh, and God is one. When we make a human deal or a human agreement or contract, it's helpful to have a mediator, right? Someone that's going to keep things fair and kind of see both sides and kind of help mediate the process. Well, if you are here last week, we saw that God made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and confirmed it in Genesis 15. And they were about to cut a covenant. They were about to make this deal together. And Abraham took the animals and he cut them in two and lined up one side and lined up the other side. And they were going to walk through that together, signifying the promise was confirmed. And right when they're going to walk through together, Abraham falls asleep. Abraham falls asleep. He wakes up. And he's like, sorry about that, God. Uh, uh, let's, let's get ready to make this deal together. And God said, I already did. I already walked through it because, Abraham, it's not about what you can do. It's all about what I can do. It's not about the promise that you're making to me. It's about the promise that I'm making to you. And so here's what Paul's saying. God didn't need a mediator. He did it himself. He confirmed this promise himself. And so Paul's saying God didn't need a mediator. Now notice verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. It's all about believing and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point that Paul is making. 23, verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up 
unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. I underlined in my Bible in that verse, shut up. And uh, in the Greek, it's talking, it's the word synkleo. It's talking about a school of fish being trapped in a net. That's literally the picture. If you look it up in the original language, that was the connotation. And so uh, that's kind of the image that Paul had in his mind. And what he's saying is this, when you are trying to live a life according uh, simply to the law, and you are trying to be very religious and do a lot of good deeds and, and, and a lot of good religious activity. Uh, you are trapped and stuck in your sin just like a fish that is entangled in the net. And you're trying to get your way out and you're trying your hardest to be a good person. But you are still stuck in sin. You're still trapped in temptation. You're still trapped in anxiety, trapped in depression. And the only person that can come and cut the net and set you free is Jesus Christ. And this is the message that Paul is declaring. It's not about how good you can be. It's about the fact that Jesus died on the cross and set you free to live a life of godliness. He's saying we were shut up in our sin. We were trapped and entangled in our sin, but Jesus came and set us free. This is the message of Galatians, the message of Christian liberty. We're free. We're free from a life of sin. And so the law exposes, exposes our sinful condition, but it also prepares us for salvation. Notice verse 24. He says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Everybody say schoolmaster. Schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that, faith has come. We are no longer under a schoolmaster. So he gives a simple illustration here. He just uh, talks about a schoolmaster. Now, in ancient Roman culture, uh, young children, before they would come of age, they would often have a schoolmaster that would accompany them uh, throughout their life. That schoolmaster, the word there is talking about a guardian, essentially a babysitter. And so when you were underage, you would have uh, this schoolmaster, this guardian that would follow you, make sure you went to class, make sure you did your work, make sure you came home and did your responsibilities. And the connotation of a schoolmaster was often that of a strict disciplinarian. And so that schoolmaster would just follow you around, making sure that you were doing everything. And Paul says, uh, just, like, uh, just like those children would have a schoolmaster, but then when they would come of age, of maturity, they no longer needed that schoolmaster. And he was saying the law was like our schoolmaster that would kind of uh, help us and guide us and show us and discipline. And it was kind of very strict. But when faith was come and when Jesus was come, he came to fulfill the law. And so we are no longer in uh, need of our schoolmaster. If you're tracking with me, would you say amen? amen? Romans 10 verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And so again, it's about faith. It's about believing. And so here's what we learned. God had a purpose for the law. And so God always keeps his promises and God always has a purpose. He had a purpose for the law and he has a purpose for your life. And I'm so thankful that God always has a purpose today. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes verse number three, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. God always has a purpose. A lot of times we don't see that purpose though. Wouldn't it be nice if every time we went through a trial or a difficult season, we could see the purpose and we could see why this was happening? It'd be a lot easier to endure, right? Okay, this, this is painful, this hurts, but I, I can see why this is happening. But we can't always see that purpose, and that's why a life of faith is required, to trust that God has a purpose. I was reading this week, there was a man named uh, William Frisbee in the late 1800s, and he started a pie company in a bakery, and he would make Frisbee pies. And uh, uh, a lot of people came and loved these pies. He would sell them often to students at Yale University. And uh, he would sell them these pies. And one day, there were some students from Yale University that took 
that empty pie tin after they ate the pie, and they discovered an alternative purpose for that tin, and they started to throw it around on the campus of Yale University, and whenever they would throw it, they would yell, Frisbee, and uh, hence uh, we have the Frisbee, one of the greatest selling toys in all of history because they discovered an alternative purpose, and it was there the whole time hiding in plain sight. So often, we get frustrated in life because we can't see the purpose of the pain that we are enduring. We can't see the purpose of the season of life we're in. We can't see the purpose of the stress of life that we are in. But what Paul is saying is God always has a purpose. Even when you can't make sense of it, he's always in control. He's always sovereign. He is seated at the right hand of the Father because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He always has a purpose. And life can be frustrating when we're living outside the purpose that God has called us to live in. And so what we learn about God and and the reason why we can say today the weight has been lifted and life doesn't have to be so heavy and we can leave this place with a smile on our face because God never breaks a promise and God always has a purpose. And here's the third thought today and we'll be done. God will always provide. I'm thankful that God will always provide for us. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that will provide. Whatever you need, God can provide, and he can meet that need with his supply. And so uh, we're going to see how God is going to provide. Let's see in verse number 26. For ye are all the children of God. By faith in Christ Jesus. Now, in a common general sense, we're all the children of God, every person, because God is the creator of all things. But in a specific sense, those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ are God's uh, children in the family of God. That's what he's saying in verse number 26. Now that you are a Christian, if you have prayed and accepted Jesus Christ uh, today, you're in the family of God. And as God the Father, as a father, he is going to provide for us some things. And as we close, I want us to see three things that God the Father provides for us. And I hope that it can be an encouragement today. And I hope that it will lift uh, the weight today uh, that might be holding you down. First is this. The first thing that God provides is a new identity. He gives us a new identity. Notice it in verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ or uh, welcomed into the family of God by receiving Jesus as your Savior, he says this, have put on Christ. Keywords there, put on. You've put on Christ. What does that mean? To put on Christ. It's actually the language of uh, clothing, of wardrobe. Uh, to put uh, off a dirty, soiled garment and to put on uh, a fresh, clean outfit. And so what he's saying is when you prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you put on Christ. And what that means is that we can put off our old man, put off our flesh, put off the law, and we can put on the righteousness and the robe of righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. We have a whole new identity. And this is good news today because that means that you are not identified by your sin. You are not identified by your struggle. You are not identified by your shame. You are not identified by a sexual orientation. You are not identified by an experience or a family background. You are identified Identified by Jesus and Jesus alone because you have put on the robe of righteousness and in Christ Jesus you are declared righteous. Somebody should be excited about that today that we have a new identity in Christ and that our identity is secure in him and not in what we do. Can I tell you today your worth is in your birth. If you have been born again, that is your identity. That is your value. You have put on Christ Jesus. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sinful past. He sees his son indwelling within you. 
this is great news for us. God's given us a whole new identity. Today, our culture is clearly struggling with identity. We identify ourselves by, uh, by all kinds of different things, and we are confused as to who we are. But God tells us who we are. We are a child of God. We are a son. We are a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have put on his righteousness a brand new identity. Colossians 3.10 says this, And I've put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. We've put on Christ. And so we have a new identity. Secondly, we have a new community. God provides for us a brand new community. Notice verse number 28. It says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, a little context would be helpful to know how powerful that statement is. Uh, every uh, Jewish male would wake up, and a part of their daily prayers, they would literally pray and thank God every morning. They would say, Lord, thank you for not having me be born as a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That's what they would pray. Lord, thank you that that's not my condition. And what Paul is saying is because of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation work of Jesus Christ, we can completely eradicate that kind of thinking. He says this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. We have a brand new identity, a brand new community. And this does not mean that God does not have roles and distinctions, right? We know all throughout Scripture that God has specific, uh, specific distinctions for male and female. He has specific distinction, distinctions and roles that we are to accomplish and to fulfill. But this is what Paul is saying. The most, please hear me, the most important thing about you is not your race. It's not your gender. The most important thing about you is that Jesus... Jesus lives inside of you. He is your brand new identity. And we as a community can unite around that identity. And we might disagree on some things, but hey, we are united under the banner that is Jesus Christ. And so we can walk in harmony. We can walk in unity because Jesus is the common denominator in our lives. And so unity is not uniformity. Unity is saying, Jesus changed my life and he changed your life. And we have that in common. So let's go and tell people and reach more people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And so he gives us a new identity, a new community. And I want you to see he gives us a brand new eternity. You ready for it? Verse 29. In fact, as I read these last couple verses, would you join me in standing today? Verse 29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. And so that blessing that was promised to Abraham, fulfilled in Jesus. It applies to us and heirs according to the promise. Heirs. We receive that inheritance. We're heirs according to the promise that God wants to give us a brand new eternity. Can I tell you today that hell is a real place? Heaven is a real place. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you are heirs of the promise. You have an eternal inheritance. That, that, that you are looking for a city whose maker is God, a celestial city called heaven, a new community, a new eternity. Luke 12, 32 says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're heirs. We're going to receive an inheritance. This is great news today. Uh, there was a lady uh, in the 1900s, early 1900s named Hetty Green, and uh, she was a multimillionaire. And when she died, she left over $100 million in her estate. She had all the money in the world, but she lived a miserable life. 
and people will tell stories about her and they talked about how she was very stingy and never wanted to spend any money. She would eat cold oatmeal because it cost too much to heat up. Her son was in need of surgery, but she didn't want to pay for the surgery, so her son had to have her leg amputated. She had all the money in the world. She was rich, but she didn't live like it. And I tell you, so many followers of Jesus, we don't realize how rich we are in Christ. The Bible says that we have unsearchable riches, that we've been given the promise and inheritance in heaven that is incorruptible. We are spiritually rich, but so often we don't live like it. So often we live with heaviness and we live life trying in our own strength and trying to obey the law and trying to be good and trying to be nice to everyone. We're carrying so much weight. We're carrying a burden maybe no one else knows about. And Jesus said, I've come to set you free. The weight has been lifted. Matthew chapter 11 says this. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. If you feel heavy today, listen in. And I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Somebody thankful today that the weight has been lifted that Jesus has set us free and his burden is light. God never breaks a promise. He always has a purpose and he will always provide. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together today.